chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and as we come to this day, and of course Mother's Day is always one of those special Sundays of the year, it's a uh, uh, time when uh, mother ought to have at least a little extra time off, a little recognition. That's a, that is a wonderful thing. If your mother is still alive, uh, I challenge you, spend some time if you can. I uh, spent uh, quite a little time last night. I just called my mom and spent some time on the phone. Uh, I couldn't go and visit her, but... Uh, I wanted to spend at least a little bit of time. I wanted her to know that I was thinking about her on Mother's Day. Amen? And that's a good thing. We ought to honor mothers. Now, as I think, try to think about a title for this morning's message, the only one that comes to mind is the weirdest Mother's Day sermon I've ever preached. Uh, I really have a, a different tack on this, this, this today and... And uh, as Mother's Day comes up, just share you a little bit of heart of the preacher. This is my 16th Mother's Day sermon. And, and so as you start and you think, wow, what, what are you going to preach on? Uh, uh, I, I found one that's very, very different. And, and, and I want you to read with me. I, I want to speak about Jesus, the attitude that Jesus had toward his mother. Uh, it's a telling thing. Uh, there's an awful lot that goes on in religion today that deals with Mary uh, that is wrong to say the least and blasphemous and, and beyond anti-biblical at worst. And we're here today as people who claim to believe this book called the Bible. Amen. And, you know, the Bible's a hard book, is it not? I mean, it draws some hard lines. And Jesus never, ever diminished his mother in any way or treated her without the respect that was uh, due her as a person. But this veneration that sometimes is attached is, is, uh, is just an imagination. It's a tradition that belongs to man. It has no point in the Word of God whatsoever. In fact, one of the strangest uh, stories is how Mother Day, Mother's Day actually came into being. A young woman literally gave her entire life to the veneration of her mother and petitioning Congress and state uh, uh, legislatures trying to get this day recognized. In fact, she expended so much effort and so much of her life she never had time to marry and never became a mother herself. Now, not trying to condemn this woman per se, but I'll tell you the greatest honor you can give your mother if you're a lady is to follow in her footsteps. Amen? 
The, the idea of motherhood is a wonderful thing. But not everybody's going to get there. That's part of preaching a sermon on Mother's Day. As I look out on the crowd, I, I see many people here. Uh, I'm in that number. I will never be a mother. Amen. Nor do I ever want to be. And God designed it that way. Amen. And there are many reasons why many ladies will, will never get there to, to be a mother. Yet, let me tell you something. God still has life for you. Amen. He has a purpose. He has a reason. He has everything. You do not have to miss life if you don't become a mother. Amen. But let me just challenge you if you choose to ignore it because you want to make money or pursue a career or, or gain some type of thing in this world, then uh, I would challenge you to re, rethink uh, your direction. But you find yourself in a circumstance. Don't waste your life worrying about something you can't change. Amen? Because God has life for each one of us. And that's what I mean by the weirdest Mother's Day sermon you've ever heard because uh, uh, it's, it's going to be just a little different. Now let's go to, we're going to spend most of our time uh, around the person of Mary. But I, uh, in Luke chapter 1, it's just a way of introduction to Mary and her attitude toward this whole thing. If you are a theologian, if you are a person who, who likes these things, this is called the Magnificent of Mary. And uh, the Bible word is Mary praise God. That's just what happened. And let's look here to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, I want you to look at those words there. She said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Now, how many of you have ever used a magnifying glass? I've got a pair of them right here. They help. They make things bigger. Why did Mary say, my soul doth magnify the Lord? Because God had promised that through her, we would see God in the flesh. Jesus was magnified by coming down and walking on earth. That's what Mary was talking about. She was going to be the one that God used. The, read Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God at sundry times in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days. We, uh, talking about the writer of Hebrews, they saw Jesus walk on the face of the earth. God's greatest revelation was the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? God with us. And this is what Mary's talking about. I love verse 47 because it, it just shoots down and, and negates so much of this false veneration that people put toward Mary. She says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary said, listen, I need a Savior just like every other human being does. Amen? 
Now let's read the rest of this. We're going to read down through verse 55. It says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich hath he sent away empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now many people have taken this and they have turned it inside out and made it something where Mary was talking about how great she was. Certainly, we would say Mary was blessed because God chose her for the act of the incarnation. Amen? But Mary needed a savior just like every one of us in this room today, need a Savior. Amen? And her praise was not about herself. It was about everything that God was doing. It was the fulfillment of God's Word. And if you want this entire sermon in in a nutshell, it is simply this. Jesus' attitude toward his mother was obedience and fulfillment of the word of God. That was his goal. That was his desire. Because if God had not used Mary, he would have used someone else. It wasn't that she was the only person in history. She was the one God chose. Amen. Now we go to John chapter 2. And we have the first miracle here. And so many people want to make so many things out of this. Now Jesus, according to your Bible, if you have a real Bible, it says that Uh, If we read the story here, Jesus turned water into wine. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, Well, Jesus drank wine. Now, we don't have. I think we spent 14 weeks on Thursday nights going through what the Bible says about alcoholic beverage. I'm going to give it 14 weeks in one sentence. According to the Bible, as a Christian, you have no reason to ever touch alcohol in any of its forms. He said, but, but pastor, there's alcohol in the medicine. Okay. If you take enough NyQuil to get you tipsy, they're going to be taking you to the emergency room to pump your stomach out because of all the other things you put in there. All right. Uh, somebody said, there's alcohol in food coloring. If you drink enough food coloring to make you feel something, you're going to turn the color of what's in the bottle. Don't do this. Amen. Listen, Jesus did not contribute to drunkenness. Never has, 
never will. The Bible word wine is a generic word that refers to grape juice in all of its states. You have to follow the context to find out what it's talking about. As a Christian, you have no business touching alcohol uh, for physical consumption in any of its forms. But as Jesus was speaking here, his mother calls him, Jesus and his disciples were there at this wedding, and in verse 3, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Now look what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, that seems like strange speech, does it not? But here is what so many people have tried to do with this passage and the reason why Jesus spoke to his mother in this fashion is many people have tried to make Mary the causative agent of the miracle that Jesus did. They tried to say, well, Jesus, he would have just stood around and twiddled his thumbs and done nothing, but Mary forced the situation and made Jesus act and reveal himself as for who he was. I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus did not need anybody to help him reveal himself as God. Read down to verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. What Jesus was just doing here was taking the attention off Mary and getting it back on him where it belonged. He was answering the questions of those who would try to make her the causative agent. The whole reason this story is in here is because Jesus showed his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Can I tell you that is the central theme to the entire scripture? This entire book, all 12, uh, how many ever pages you have in your Bible, uh, my Bible has just under 1,400 uh, pages in it. Every one of those pages has only one theme. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And as Jesus has this interaction with his mother, he says, he's basically saying, Mom, you're right about the situation. We're going to take care of it. But people have to understand, I'm going to take care of it because of me, not because of you. Because I'm God. I'm the one that is bringing salvation. I am the one that people are to believe in. Amen? I told you it was going to be a weird Mother's Day sermon, but it's not a weird Bible message. Amen? That is the theme of our scriptures. Don't let anyone get in the way or take your attention off of the person and the ministry and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Oops. 
give me a second to get there. I went to Matthew chapter 3. That would not help us much. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. And let's, let's just go uh, to verse 19. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out, excuse me, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Now, what was going on here is Jesus was beginning his ministry. The multitudes of people, thousands of people would throng and come together to hear him teach and preach and see the miracles that he was done, that he had done. He had been in Jerusalem. He had cleansed the temple. He had come back to his hometown there. He had set up in, in Capernaum. Things were happening in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he had just chosen the 12 apostles and some of Jesus' friends, people that had known him and said, this isn't the Jesus we grew up with. Something's gone on. Everybody's following this guy. He's gone crazy. Had Jesus gone crazy? No, he had just begun his public ministry in fulfillment of the word of God. But I don't think it's a coincidence that people looked at him and said something is different, something is wrong with this person. And then we get down to verse 31, and this is where we're going. We just want to get the context here. There came then his brethren and his mother, standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Now Jesus is in the multitude here. He's in the press. There's so many people coming and going that they don't even have time to stop and eat lunch and, and, and the word has gone out. Something's changed about this man. Something's wrong. We need to help him. And guess who shows up? Mary and his brothers. Somebody said, where's Joseph? The best we can understand, Joseph probably had passed away by this time. We do not know. He's not mentioned. If he were there, he certainly would have been mentioned if he weren't. Uh, if he had died, uh, then it would have been Mary and the children. Jesus was the oldest son. He had responsibilities. Now, as it, Jesus is teaching, look there in verse 32, And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Now look at verse 33. And he answered them, saying, <coughs> Who is my mother? or my brethren. And he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Jesus put the focus again where it needs to be. And it was in relation. His mother came there and she was, I'm sure, trying to help him. We look at the context. People were saying things about her son that weren't true. She was caring. She was trying to uh, solve this problem. And Jesus solved the problem. He said, don't look out there for the woman that is my physical mother because that's not what's important. If you want to know what's important, 
if you want to be equal with Mary, it says, for whosoever shall do the will of God. The same is my brother and my sister and my mother. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Wherefore he is not ashamed to call them, talking about people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his brethren. Can you imagine how incredible it is that the God of heaven came down here and lived in flesh as a human being for 33 and a half years. His public ministry was three and a half years. And he says, I want to identify with you. I'm willing to call you my brother. How does that happen? It's very simple. It says, whosoever shall do the will of God. You know what? It is the will of God for some women, some women to become mothers. Amen? It is the will of God for some never to become mothers. Others, things will happen in this life and you can't change what is going on and what has happened. But this is what you can do. You can do the will of God from this day forward. That's what Jesus is saying here. I can't go back and redo yesterday. But by God's grace, I can make sure that tomorrow is not the failure that yesterday was. Amen? Jesus says, listen, here's the important thing. To do the will of God. Now, what is the biggest question in the world? Well, what is the will of God? How many of you have been through our discipleship uh, lessons at the church? We spend the whole lesson on the will of God, do we not? And we really work through that thing. How you can know God's will for your life. If you have not been through the discipleship, you're interested in that, I would challenge you. I would encourage you to do so. We'll see me. We'll try to get another class going if we have enough people. If not, we'll do it privately. Um, but it's, it's something that's a good thing to go through. But here's how you do the will of God. You start where you are today and be obedient in the things that you can obey today. That's how you find God's will. It's just that simple. I've met so many people over the years. And God puts something. And one of the essence of the heart of motherhood is wanting to help and to nurture. And by the way, you don't have to be a physical mother to want to help and to nurture other people. Amen? But I want to challenge you, some, challenge you with something. You cannot help and nurture any other person 
until you yourself are doing the will of God. Could we say amen to that? You cannot lead another person along and encourage them and strengthen them in a way that is going to make a real difference in their life until you've gotten alone with God first and gotten something for God that is really going to help other people. Amen? It takes time. It takes a lot of time to repair wrong things that we've done in our lives. And as we let God repair those things, it is that very repair job that God is doing in wrong decisions and things that we have done in our life that God will use to let us help and encourage others along the road. What did Paul say? He said, what's the comfort that I comfort you with? It's the comfort that God comforted me with. You say, why do I have to suffer in this life? Why, why does life have to be so tough? Because you have to learn to trust God to get you through it. Amen? Because there's somebody else going through the same thing. And once you learn how to go to God and get the answer, He'll let you take that answer and minister to the life of somebody else. Have you ever met a patient person? How many of you like to be around patient people? I love to be around patient people. You see, how do you, how do you get patience? How many people know how to get patience? James chapter 1. How does patience come? Tribulation. Tribulation worketh patience. If you meet a patient person, you've met someone who has suffered. That suffering has made them patient. They're not in such a hurry to get started on something because they know what's involved. They're going to take their time, make sure and do it right. It's wonderful to be around patient people. It's very difficult to get patience yourself. Amen? Let's look at one more passage and then we're going to try to tie this thing up. Maybe I won't preach as long as I normally do. Luke chapter 11. The scripture we're looking at, we started out with Mary explaining what God was doing in her life and her praise and her glory and everything that she wanted to say was directed to God in all the good things that he had done. In John chapter 2, Mary said to Jesus, they don't have any wine. We see Jesus separating himself. We see Jesus putting a little distance there because he wanted his disciples to believe on him. Not worry about Mary. When Mary came seeking for Jesus with his brethren, when people were saying that uh, things were wrong in Jesus' life, Jesus said, listen, who is my mother and my brethren? It's those that do the will of God. Now here we come down to Luke chapter 11, verse 27, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, 
a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee in the paps which thou hast sucked. She said, Man, you must have had a great mother. Your mother is a blessed woman. Now, what did Jesus say? Yea, rather. He said, yes, she is a blessed woman. But more importantly, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now, not all of us can be mothers. But I, off, I have to ask the question I do every Mother's Day have for 16 years. Where would you be without your mother? The answer is you wouldn't. So, be kind. Respect and honor your mother, especially on Mother's Day. But if the only time you do something nice for your mom is on Mother's Day... There's a place called an altar here to get your heart right, all right? But our text here, Jesus had an opportunity to venerate his mother. What did he do? He said, that's not what's important. He said, what's important? What is important? is to hear the word of God and to keep it. Now, oftentimes, and, and I don't know, uh, I hope I'm not being too repetitious here, but I want us to just stop and think of this. How many of you, let's just take a note here, have done something this week that you know was against the word of God? You sinned this week. Would you just slip up a hand as a public testimony? Okay, if you're alive, your hand ought to be up. You know what we did? We heard the word of God, and we didn't keep it. Isn't that true? Now, every one of us is guilty. My hand went up not to show you what to do if you had sin, but my hand went up because I'm in the same boat. Jesus said, if you want these blessings, you need to hear the Word of God and to keep it. We often are told how complex our society is, that we have come so far that simple answers will not meet the needs of our day. That, that we must have a, a certain group of special people who are just so extraordinary in their human abilities that they are the only living people who can solve their problems. They usually have Democrat after the end of their name. I'm sorry. But uh, how, how many times have you heard that argument since President Obama's been elected? The only man smart enough to figure out all of our financial problems can't even do his own income taxes correctly. That's true. Look it up. There's a problem with that kind of smart.
the more I study the Bible and the more I study history and the more I just listen and see what is going on around me, the more simple the Christian life becomes. The reason why things are so complex is because we have turned our backs on the simple answers that God has in His Word. The family is in disarray. I want you to pray. I'd, I'd like to preach a whole series of sermons on the family. The family unit in this country is being attacked in every way that it can, and it is disintegrating under the pressure and, and under the problems of sin. And But here's the answer for the family. Hear the Word of God. Keep it. Isn't that the answer for the family? The answers for, the, the answers for our kids going into the world and leaving God. I'll tell you the number one reason children go into the world and turn their back on the Bible. Number one reason, hypocrisy in the lives of their parents. My wife and I have made a study because we're, we're praying for our kids. And we got a lot of them to pray for. I don't want my kids to go into the world. I heard somebody say I wasn't actually in the meeting, but four out of five isn't bad. That terrifies me. I don't want 10 out of 11 of my children to live for God. That one that would turn its back on God, his or her back on God, is unacceptable. You say, but how do you expect to have a perfect record? I don't. I want to hear the word of God and keep it, and I'll let God take care of the record. It's that simple. I can tell you stories that would make your hair fall out of people who heard the word of God and chose one little thing that they said, I just can't do that one little thing, but I'll do everything else. And they watched their lives fall apart. God asked for us to hear His Word. Week after week, year after year, we have services. And we want to worship God and we say, listen, we've come together to hear the preaching of God's Word. Yet, I fully expect on Judgment Day, to be called up before God. The Bible says as a pastor, i got to give account of every person that's walked through the doors of this church. It terrifies me as a pastor. And there's going to be, time, there's going to be times that that judgment seat's not going to be just one isolated incident. I can think of names in people's faces as I'm sitting right here 
who sat in the pews and heard the preaching of God's Word and never once accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. And God's going to ask me, did you not preach the gospel? I think I can answer honestly and truly, God, I did preach the gospel. I pleaded with souls to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, to turn from their religion, to turn from their own ideas and their own thoughts, to surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and give Him their all. I plead with you today, if you sit here today and you're not saved, would you give your life to Jesus today before you leave this place? That's hearing the Word of God and keeping it. You say, but uh, I, I can't live the Christian life. Welcome to the human race. If you could live the Christian life, you wouldn't need to get saved. Amen? The reason we need to be saved is because of our sin. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's salvation. That's how simple it is. Somebody said, I know what's coming next. Yes, you do. Baptism, amen. That's what comes after you get saved. If Jesus saves you on the inside, you ought to be willing to tell people on the outside. That's what baptism is. And I'll be very simple and will not go into the whole thing. We explain this very thoroughly before any person is baptized. Here's the biblical requirements for baptism. You have to have a Bible-saved person. If you're not saved, if you don't have that issue solved, you can't be baptized because baptism is a testimony of your salvation. By the way, you can be saved anywhere at any time. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But baptism is your public identification. It tells people who you are. It's like your birth certificate. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the Presbyterian, right? No, it was John the Baptist. And people say, actually, Pastor, that was John the Baptizer. Uh, only if you have one of those wacky modern versions. If you've got a real Bible, it says John the Baptist. Why was he called that? Because God sent him with this sign called baptism to publicly identify Jesus Christ. The only thing you can do that Jesus did that you can actually do is find a Baptist preacher and get baptized. Amen? That's what Jesus did. He found John the Baptist. He got baptized. Where uh, baptism has nothing to do with your salvation, but we want to be as biblical and as simple as we can. If you were baptized in a church that teaches different doctrine, there are churches that have Baptists on their name that teach different doctrine. We've had people that said, Pastor, I'm from such and such a Baptist church. I said, well, I don't know that church. Let me check it out. I remember calling up one pastor. Can I tell you what the pastor's name was? His name was Buddy Pig. That was the pastor's name. 
And uh, I called up and I said, can I speak to the pastor? He said, this is Pastor Pig speaking. And I said, uh, brother, I just need a question from you. I said, uh, I need to know what you believe about baptism. He says, oh, he says, we're a great church. As long as you got wet, we believe you've been baptized. I said, that's all I need to know. Thank you very much, Pastor. Hung up the phone and went to that person and said, this is what the pastor of the church said your church believes. Is that what you believe? I said, no. Well, then you're going to have to be baptized properly in identification with what you really believe. Amen? With what the Bible teaches. It's not the name of the church that gets you baptism. It's what they believe. The authority comes through this book into the church. If your grandma Gertrude baptized you, I don't care how godly she was and how much she obeyed the Bible, she's not a church, therefore it's not baptism. You have to have a church that believes the Bible in order to have Bible baptism. How simple is that? But I can tell you, I couldn't give you the name. The list is too long. But I'll guarantee we've had over 200 people in the history of our church refuse to become members because of that issue. Easily 200 people. I try not to keep track of those things because that's a depressing statistic. That's more people than we have here this morning. But blessed are they that what? Hear the word of God and keep it. It's just that simple. How do you get saved? Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you get baptized? By forgetting about yourself and just obeying the Bible. Amen? How do you serve God in the church? Just obeying the Bible. One of the greatest things you can do is show up. Amen? But there's a whole lot more to serving God than just showing up. God bless our nursery workers. Can we get a big amen for that? I mean, that is a necessary job. God bless our children's church workers. Amen? I don't know if anybody's here to remember, but we've had all kinds of interesting things happen in church services before we had the children's church going on a regular basis. I remember looking back in the middle of my sermon, and here was one little kid just going, do-do-do-do-do-do, over playing with the fence, and then he would come back and then climbed over top of the pew and went to the next one and checked the fence there. And I mean, I could hardly concentrate on the sermon, and everybody was watching this little boy just walk back and forth on the top of the pew, and here's the sad part. Somebody said something careless and hurtful to the parent of that child. And they left this church without trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Never came back. I'd rather have a hundred kids walking back and forth on the pews and disturbing the service than one person miss heaven. But that's why we have a children's church. You pray for those people. I pray for them. They put up with a lot. My kids are in there. 
They have to work hard. And I want them to work hard. Because Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Amen? Our toddlers church workers. It can be a lot of fun. I think, I don't know what the actual count was. It was somewhere between 12 and 15 kids from age 2 or 3 up until about 9 or 10 that I took care of during the ladies' tea. You know what? We had a blast. We had a lot of fun. Sometimes I'd rather have one of the guys come up here and go down and preach to the kids. Because it's so simple to hear the Word of God and do it when you're a children, a child because you don't care about what other people think about you. You haven't had enough time to figure out all the excuses and all the reasons why I know what the Bible says, but blessed are they that hear the word of God and what? Do you believe that? Let's try that again. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and? I'm not sure. We'll try that again maybe for the end of the sermon. How many of you have struggled with this little book this year? Raise your hand. Come on. It's not easy. But let me ask you a question. Should it be easy? Hmm? No, it shouldn't. You should have to work. This is a big book. Now, we have this idea that pastor's supposed to understand the Bible so he can tell me everything it says. Uh, God had a little different opinion of his book. He wants everyone to understand it so they can live for him. Amen? You can't understand it if you don't read it. I try not to keep track of how many times I've read through the Bible because I don't want someone saying, oh man, you must know the Bible because you've read through it 50 times. I don't know if I've read through it 50 times or not. It's been at least that many. Certain passages of the Bible I've read through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Does that make me any more spiritual? Does that diminish any need for me to read the Bible today? Absolutely not. How many of you have eaten hundreds and hundreds of meals? Are you going to skip lunch today because you've ate all those meals in the past? I know somebody's thinking, Pastor, it looks like you could use a skip a few meals, but I'm not going to. I'm going to eat today. Why? Because I need the food. Amen? Now, I don't need everything that I eat, and I probably don't need quite as much as I take in, but if you can't enjoy life, that's what God gave us life for. Amen? But don't dig your fork with your grave. Serve God with your life.
Blessed are they that what? Hear the word of God and keep it. Read your Bible. You know the worst attended service of the week at Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Prayer meeting. You know the most important service of the week at Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Probably would be the prayer meeting. We need to pray. I'm not pleased with what's going on in this country right now. I'm very concerned. But I'm not waiting for Congresswoman Maloney to give me a call to ask me how she should vote on anything because I already know how she's going to vote. And it's going to be against everything this book called the Bible says. She is our representative. She has the most liberal voting record in Congress. Listen. That's not where my hope is. I want to hear what this book has to say and keep it in my life. I can't make anyone else keep it. But I want to use this time this morning to challenge you to keep it. It starts by getting saved. Next thing's getting baptized. Serving the Lord in the church. We need to pray. Amen. On Thursday night, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in chapter 6, and Jesus is dealing with issues of worship. What's the first issue he deals with? Giving. The second one? Prayer. The third one? Forgiveness. How's your forgiveness doing? Father, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Dear God, please forgive me my sins against you the same way I forgive other people's sins against me. If you prayed that prayer, there's a lot of people that end up in hell. Isn't that true? Because we don't forgive other people. We remember what they've done. We keep it in a special little cupboard just in case we need to get it out. And solve some problems. When God forgives me, he separates my sins as far from me as the east is from the west. Isn't that a blessing? We don't have time to go through the whole thing on forgiveness. You can go to the website and get the messages on the Sermon of the Mount. But... Just suffice to say, the purpose and the basis of my forgiveness of others, their misdeeds against me, is not from me. It's based upon what Jesus has done on the cross. If Jesus paid the price for their sins, I have no right to hold them against them. But they're going to get away with it. Nobody gets away with anything in God's courtroom, my friend. I don't want anyone to go to hell. I want them to have the forgiveness that I have so that we can enjoy heaven forever together. Amen? Somebody says, well, I just don't know, understand how, how I could get along with that person, how I could ever forgive them. 
Learn what the Bible says. It'll teach you. The last thing that Jesus talked about, we just finished this Thursday night, is fasting. It's part of our worship. We're going to give you an opportunity in a couple weeks to experiment with that. Because we ought to grow in the love of our Savior. Amen? We need to hear the Word of God and just keep it. It's that simple. The complex things of life are upon us because we've turned our back on the simple answers that are in the Word of God. I just want to challenge you on Mother's Day. Get your attention on Jesus, nothing else. Look at his glory, not anybody else's. You want to do the will of God. Amen? You want to hear the word of God and just keep it. Now, I'm glad I don't have to play the part of the Holy Spirit today because I do a very, very poor job. I'm just a simple preacher. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. No one else looking around. We, we do this because we want you to take your attention off others and what you may think others are thinking about you and put your attention on God and what He thinks about you. How many would say, Preacher, God has put at least one specific thing in my heart, one area of my life, I know what the Bible says and I'm just not doing it. I want to pray that God will change my life in that area. Would you just slip up a hand today? All over the auditorium. Anyone else before we pray? Okay. Let me put them down. And I'll promise you, there's as many different reasons why those hands were raised as there were hands to raise them. Would there be one that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure about my salvation. Would you pray for me about that? My prayer won't save you. You have to come to Christ. We won't do anything to point you out or, or to put you on the spot in any way. Just want to pray for you. It's saying, Pastor, I'm concerned about my soul. I, I'm concerned. I just don't know what to do. Pray for me. Would you just slip up a hand? Anyone at all this morning? Okay, I see one. Anyone else? There's another. Anyone else? You may put it back down. Anyone else? Pray for me. I'm concerned about my soul. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning. We want to pray first for the two hands that were raised, saying, I'm not sure about my salvation. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would have freedom to do the work in hearts and lives, to help them understand what it is to simply trust in Jesus. 
and to be born again the Bible way. Not some man's way, not some fantastic phenomena, but just simply hearing the Word of God, doing it. Lord, we pray for the many hands that were raised. Lord, as a human being, there's no way for me to keep track of every hand that went up and understand, but I'm glad I'm talking to the God of heaven that not only knew every hand, knew every issue that is in every heart, even though the number of hairs upon each head. Lord, we ask that this morning on Mother's Day we do business with God, that we would leave this place refusing the complex, convoluted answers of this world and embracing the simple answers of your word. We ask that you would be worshipped by the decisions that are made and the changes in the way we live this coming week. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's.